the rest of us, uh, we're going to look at um, Psalm 31, the 31st Psalm. And you might ask, why Psalm 31? Well, the reason is simple, no, no magic, it just was the next one. Um, or one that I hadn't preached on yet. So I preached 1 through 30 and others, and so 31 is the next one. My semi-OCD kicks in, and I need to have things in order and sequence in there, so that's why it's Psalm 31. Uh, I think the idea is when I finish preaching through the Psalms, then it'll be time to be done with uh, uh, the ministry, so we'll see how that goes there. So Psalm 31. We're going to read it. It's in the entirety. It's not very long. It's 24 verses. It's a Psalm of David. If you look at your Bible, you're going to have two sorts of... Uh, uh, most Bibles have two sorts of uh, titles. Um, the one that says to the chief musician or to the choir master, a Psalm of David, that's the inspired um, title. That's part of the text. In the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew manuscript, that's verse 1. So in most Hebrew manuscripts of, of Psalms, or at least in the edited version of manuscripts, uh, each Psalm is going to have an extra verse because uh, a lot of times the title is verse 1. So you learn a lot from the psalm by looking at the title. This one, it just tells us that it is from David, and it was intended to be sung, which you already knew because uh, that's the point of all the psalms, is uh, to be sung. They're uh, hymns. The very word psalm comes from the Greek, Greek word to pluck, as in plucking an instrument, plucking a harp. So these are songs, songs of the people of God. So, Psalm 31, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net with which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. For you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in the Lord, O Lord, and trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. 
My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. O love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully replays the proud person. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. This psalm, as it is with a lot of the psalms, is the result of suffering in the life of the believer. In this case, it is suffering in the life of David. It's impossible to identify exactly what David is talking about because he could describe quite a bit of his life. It's also we get the impression it's more than just a moment in time because as you remember reading it said that his life is full of suffering, that his ears are full of sighing. So I think it, he's not identifying one particular time of his life, but something that he was very acquainted with and that is suffering in his life. Now we are often, we, we often read the Bible thinking that it's not about our reality. I think we have this, this, sometimes not thought through, but this idea that the Bible is about some other reality. That, that's not really about us, not about this life right here. It's, it's a, sometime in the past, things are not like that anymore. We are often tempted with the idea that it doesn't really include all the experiences of living in this world. A broken down, full of sin, and if we're going to be honest, a world in which life sometimes stinks. Um, and, and this is especially true of the way that we think of suffering. We have a tendency to think that the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about my specific suffering or my specific experience with suffering. We are willing to acknowledge the Bible speaks to and of suffering in general, but not to our specific situation. I hope as we look at Psalm 31 that the, these ideas will be disavowed from your mind. The Bible speaks about and to all kinds of sufferings, including whatever it is that you may be going through, whatever it is you may have gone through, whatever it is you are going to go through in, in life. The theme of this psalm um, is this. God is reliably faithful and thus can be trusted to deliver his servant. Not very poetic. The psalm is poetic. My expression of the theme is not very poetic, but it does the job. God is reliable. God is reliably faithful and thus can be trusted to deliver his servant. 
Jesus appropriates himself of this psalm in the New Testament. Well, the, the last thing he says from the cross is verse 5. Other than just making a loud noise, the less cogent sentence he utters from the cross is verse 5. In Luke 23, verse 46, Luke says, When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus understood that God remained faithful to him, even in the midst of excruciating suffering. That's what he does by quoting that, that verse. He makes this psalm about him, about his experience. This, this is an expression of the representative sufferer. And he also understood that God was going to deliver him even if through death, which Hebrews 2 says that's exactly what God did. All right, so this is what I want to do as we look at this psalm. I want to look at the suffering of the psalmist. And then as we do that, we're going to see the Bible does know all about suffering. Then I want us to look at the fact that in his suffering, the believer seeks deliverance from the Lord. So that's sprinkled throughout this, this psalm. And then I want us to see that the outcome of, of, of the psalmist's cry to the Lord is deliverance. That God always delivers his people without any qualification, without any exception. God always delivers his people. And then I want us to see that that deliverance is given to us so that we can use to encourage other people in this life. So the suffering of the psalmist. Notice that he's suffering in the hands of his enemies. In verse 4, it says, Pull me out of the net which, have, which they have secretly laid for me. So he is uh, suffering in the hands of people. People are out to get him. And that's a cause of suffering in his life. But this suffering is also internal and chronicle. Not just people out there. His suffering internally as well. In verse 9 and 10, he says, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eyes waste, my eye wastes away with grief. Have you ever cried so much that your eyes just kind of feel like they're shrinking, that you can't open them? They're so swollen, they're so wasted away with grief. That's the expression of, uh, of, uh, of the psalmist here. Yes, my soul and my body, for my life spent with grief and my ears with sighing. So we can see that his... His suffering because of people out there are out to get him, but he's also suffering internally. There's something going on in, in him. And suffering is usually like that. It's a complex matter. It's not a, usually a simple thing. It often cannot be explained by just one factor. There's several things. Sometimes we think, oh, if only this thing, I'll stop suffering, but then that thing is removed, and you don't experience the relief that you thought you were going to release. Because there are other factors that go into suffering. And I want you to notice the honest assessment of the psalmist concerning his sin. In verse 10, he says that some of his suffering is there because of his own sin. He acknowledges that. I'm suffering because I've sinned. In verse 10, he says, My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. It reminds us of the next psalm, Psalm 32 where he talks about his bones aching till he confessed uh, to the Lord. 
He also says that some of suffering is there because of obedience to the Lord. So some suffering is there because he sinned. Some suffering is there because he obeyed the Lord. The implication is that the enemies were upset with him because of his stand for the Lord. In verse 6, he says, I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities and have not shut me up in the, into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. We have the idea here that these, these enemies are persecuting him because of his faithfulness to the Lord. And he says that some of the suffering is because of the sins of others. In verse 13 it says, For I hear the slander of many, fears on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. So you can see the complexity of suffering. There's all these different elements. And David is pretty honest about that. Yes, some of the suffering is my sin. Some of the suffering is my righteousness. And some of the suffering is the sins of other people. And I want you to notice also the assessment of his obedience to the Lord. He doesn't come to the Lord and says, look, Lord, I'm perfect. I've done all these things you owe to deliver me. He says, you know what, Lord, in verses 6 through 8 and 14, sometimes I'll obey you. But then in verses 9 and 10, says, sometimes I don't obey you. So I'm not coming before you with my merits, my perfection. That's not why I'm asking you to deliver me from my suffering. What he does do, though, in his suffering is that he seeks deliverance from the Lord. That's where his deliverance is, from the Lord. Look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. Why is David turning to God for deliverance? What is it? that he knows about God that causes him to look to the Lord at this time of chronic sufferings. So you have Psalm 31 open in front of you. We read through. Can you pick some things out of Psalm 31 that tells us what David knows about God that gives him the courage to turn to God for deliverance in a time of suffering? So you can say in verse such and such, David says... Yes, God is the rock, his rock and fortress. This idea is, is a, is a, um, a stronghold, a place of safety. Uh, reminds me of, have you ever heard of Masada? It was a, a Jewish fortress in the first century. Um, there's a movie about it, you don't even have to read the book. You just read the, uh, uh, where the Jewish rebels were able to withstand the attacks of the Romans for years because it's impenetrable, it was on a rock, a fortress built upon a, a rock. And that's the idea that's here. He, 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 he's confident in coming to the Lord to deliver him from his suffering because God is that. That kind of safety. What else? Anna? Uh, yes. You're on the good track. We're going to take a look at that in just a second in a, in a couple of minutes. Yes. What else? Verse 15, my Alright, yes. So the Lord's in control where he lives or he dies and so he can trust the Lord can do what is right there. What else? 
So he knows that God is good. So he comes to God. What else? Okay, the, 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 God, the Lord is faithful to the faithful. Yes. 21, he is strong, he has kindness. So the Lord is good, and he's also kind. What else? Renee? Um, in verse 2 and also in verse uh, 22, God hears us. Yeah, God, so I'm going to come to you, God, because I know you're going to hear me, you're going to listen to me. So you can see that it's not empty faith. God, David is not going to God. The believer is not going to God in this, oh, I really hope there's something. No, he knows some things about God that causes him to go to God. He knows something about who God is, the attributes of God, the descriptions of God. God is the rock and fortress. In verse 3, God knows what's going on um, in his life. In verses seven, in verse 7, uh, David says, for you have considered my troubles, you have known my soul in adversities. God is not like, have you ever called a bank or the airline and you are on hold and uh, it's an automated service, not hold, but automated service, and they tell you to, yes, you have a bunch of information, and you give all that information, and then when you finally are able to talk to somebody, you have to give all that information again because they haven't heard anything you've said before to the computer and it's not there in front of them somehow. God is not like that. He already knows all that you have been going through. So we can come confidently uh, to him. Jesus knows what David is going through as he makes this psalm his own on the cross. And he's our sympathetic high priest who is able to know what we are going through. David goes to, to, to God because God has delivered him in the past and preserved him. Verse 8, he says, and have not shot me up in the hand of the enemy. So he's done that. He set David in the wide place. Is anybody here like Survivor, the show? We've watched a bunch of them. At, like, I don't know, thirty seasons at our house. I don't know how many. It's a bunch of my wife says no. Huh? There's forty-three seasons of Survivor, and uh, we watch a whole bunch of them. We like the older ones better than the newer ones because they've become too woke lately. Jeff cannot, cannot say, come on in, guys, anymore because somebody got offended at the word guys, so he can't use that word anymore. But anyway, I, I, I digress. But in Survivor, you have all these challenges where you're supposed to stand in a really narrow place. And it's hard to stand, and after a few minutes, you're going to fall. There's no security there. God says that when he rescues us, he puts us in a wide place. We stand. We, there's, we don't have to just balance there and wondering if we're going to stay safe. No, it's wide and we can establish a position there and nobody can move us there. And David had that experience in the past with God, so that encourages him to go and talk to God about the current sufferings. God provides stability and the conditions for the believer to thrive. And that can happen even in the midst of suffering. A believer can thrive even in the midst of Suffering. First Corinthians ten thirteen says that God is going to give you a grace to bear under the struggle, not to come out of the struggle, but to bear. Under. So we can even thrive in the struggle, in the suffering, as God put us in the wide place. He comes to the Lord in verse fourteen because he trusts 
the Lord. In verse 14, it says, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. There is a covenantal element here and also in the plea for God to answer for his name's sake that Hannah brought up in verse 3. And then in verse 16, and for his mercy's sake as well. God has made a covenant with his people. Not based on us, but based on him. And because he never changes, his covenant with us will never change. Verse 19, David knows that God is good. So he goes to him. In verse 21, he knows that God is kind. In verse 22, he knows that God hears his prayers. In verse 24, he knows that God is faithful to the faithful. David knows that God strengthens those who hope in him. In verse 24, that's the theme of Psalm 42 and 43, isn't it? Why are so downcast on my soul? Hope in God. Romans 5 says that we have been justified with God. We have peace. They have been justified to Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. And that peace generates hope. And that hope gets us to the end. What's the difference between faith and hope? Yes. Faith looks backwards. They're both faith. Hope is just a subset of faith. Faith looks backwards. Hope looks forward to promises that have not yet come to pass. But they are as sure as the things that have already happened. He goes to God because he knows that God will vindicate his people. In verses 19 and 20, he says, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from this trife of tongues. He goes to God because he knows he's going to vindicate his people. And sometimes God vindicates his people in this life. He is absolutely going to vindicate everyone in the life to come. And we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about seeking vengeance because God is going to avenge us. He is the ultimate avenger of all his people. We see that in the New Testament, in Matthew 25, with the parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are vindicated at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that in Revelation 6, we have these souls that are saying, how long, Lord, are we going to remain here before you vindicate us? And the Lord hands them robes and says, just a little while, there's a few more of you that need to die before all can be uh, vindicated. So the Lord, he goes to God because God... He knows that God vindicates his people. And because he knows that God is going to vindicate him, he leaves that in the hands of God. If you look at verses 17 and 18, he asks God to take care of the enemy. So God, you do that to them. That's, that's really what Paul says to in Romans 12, verses 19 and 21. He says, don't, don't seek to avenge yourself. Return good for evil. You love and let God be be." One that avenges you, that vindicates you. And then we see that the outcome of his cry to the Lord is deliverance. In verses 21 and 22, Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown his servant marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. I hope you understand that uh, pretty much every psalm is written after the fact. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? David is not going to, you know, running from Absalom, writing a psalm. Right? When everything has happened, then he writes, thinking back. And, uh, and with every single psalm except for 88, he writes after there's a resolution to the problem. 
so by the time he sat down to write Psalm 31, he had experienced the deliverance from the Lord there in verses 21 and 22. And but it's interesting here that in his case, deliverance didn't come before, didn't come till he almost despaired. See that in verse 22. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. He thought that God hadn't heard his prayers. He thought that because the suffering didn't stop, that God hadn't heard him. We often commit that mistake. We think because things haven't changed, because we're still suffering, that somehow God hasn't heard us. He thought that God had given up on him and was about to give up on God because suffering hadn't stopped. The truth is, God never gives up. And often suffering is the means that he uses for us to even see him more clearly. Uh, is your experience, has been my experience, is the experience of saints in history. I read a lot. I like reading history. I've never read the testimony of a saint that said, when things were great, when life was just a bed of roses, I grew by leaps and bounds in the Lord. The testimony, and, uh, and Hebrews 12 says, as you're going through it, it's never pleasant, but afterwards it yields the, the, the fruits of righteousness. Testimony after is that in times of suffering, I've grown to know the Lord. And that is deliverance. Deliverance doesn't have to be just a ceasing of suffering, but growth in, in the Lord. Hebrews 13 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. So we may boldly say that the Lord, that the Lord is my help. I will not fear what can man do to me. That's the promise of the Lord. And David's experience is turning to comfort and blessing for us. So when he has his eyes open that even his suffering, God is delivering him. He receives that comfort from the Lord. It doesn't mean that the enemies are not out there anymore. But he uses that encouragement, encouragement he received from the Lord now to encourage others. In verse 24 he says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart all you who hope in the Lord. He learned from the Lord and uses that to encourage others. Uh, Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3, 3 and 4. He says that you, are going, you go through stuff in your life so that you can be comforted by God and then in turn get whatever comfort you got from God and minister that comfort to others in their time of struggle. And a lot of times that what suffering does for us prepares us to minister to other people. Whatever help, whatever comfort, whatever encouragement we receive from the Lord through His people, through the Word, through whatever, that now we use. We've been trained in the school of suffering. We're ready to go comfort and encourage others. And David learned that here in verse 24. The Apostle Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to men. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. With the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And that's really the message of this psalm. Suffering is real. I don't think there's anybody in this room that would deny that. Suffering is real. And so is what the Bible says about it. May we learn from the suffering of our brother David that we too may be comforted by our God through that, and in turn be able to use, be used by God to comfort others that are going through their trials in their lives. Any thoughts about Psalm 31? Or questions? Yes, Jerry. 
I can associate most of what David says, especially when you see the background in Samuel and mm -hmm. his battles and so on. But when it comes to him talking about all his enemies, mm -hmm. I, I have a hard time associating with that because I don't feel like I've had enemies like he has faced. Correct. Is there a... Yes. Am I missing something? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Every one of us has three vicious enemies all the time, every second of every day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're sneaky. And they're not always visible. So we have stronger enemies. But we also have a strong Savior who protects us and rescues us from those enemies. But we do have those enemies around us much more dangerous than an enemy you can see is the enemy that you can't see. Make sense? Okay. Renee. Um, verse 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart mm -hmm. you hope in the Lord. It's, it sounds like we're, there's a requirement from us before he strengthens us. Yep. Faith is always a requirement. The God who you don't believe is not going to strengthen you. And, and then uh, we as believers sometimes act or behave and think as unbelievers, right? So we need a little correction, you know, and cry out like that father in the Gospel of Mark, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's all of our stories in one degree or another. So God encourages and comforts those who believe in him. And several, you know, and that, that, we can lose our way sometimes. Not that we lose our salvation, but our faith gets shaken or we forget things about God that we need to be reminded and so on. Does it make sense? Yes. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts before we close? All right. There might be cupcakes with uh, some banana cupcakes with unicorns on them for... Uh, <laughs> Nick's uh, birthday. No, there's some cookies, I think, in the kitchen. So we'll pray, and then we're going to rush to the kitchen to get cookies. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, heaven, thank you that your word is so clear, so helpful, so powerful. We pray that tonight it would penetrate into the deep, deepest part of our hearts. We pray that you remove any unbelief from our hearts, help us to grow in faith, we pray, Father, that you would encourage us, enable us to encourage others. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.